Let's go ahead and begin our time this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together as we begin our class. Father, thank you that we can be here together this morning as a church. We thank you for all that you've done for us this past week. Thank you for uh, the many opportunities that we've had to celebrate your goodness and to thank you for what you've done for us. And may this be yet another occasion where we're here to do that very thing, to thank you and to praise you for all your kindness and your love and your care for us and your provision for us. We thank you that you have done this uh, in particular for this morning's time with regard to how we ought to make decisions and how we ought to decide what to do and then act upon what we have decided. Uh, We thank you that you have given us sufficient resources in your word and by your spirit to be able to know what you want us to do and to be able to then carry out those things. And we pray that you might help us to look uh, more and more attentively to your word for what we ought to do and for what we would do. And that your word would govern our choices, it would govern our decisions, it would govern the way that we act once we have made those decisions. Everything that we do would, uh, would be dictated by the truth of your word, and we thank you so much for it. We pray that you give us understanding as we go through this time. We pray that the scriptures would uh, be open to us. We pray that you would help us to think clearly about how we ought to live before you. We pray that you'd be glorified by these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, I would like to read a passage as we begin. Uh, Just to set the tone somewhat, not so much directly about decision making, but it is about knowing God's will in a certain way. Um, And so then, of course, it is connected with decision making. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. Paul writes these words to the Colossians. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience." Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You notice here that he, in verse 9, if you're looking there, wants the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And he wants this to be the case in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is one of the many passages in scripture that uses these ideas of wisdom and understanding um, in a, a way that basically describes the application of biblical truth in one's own personal life and in his relationships with other people. Uh, this kind of knowledge, true knowledge, it's referred to in some places. Uh, it is not only that we know things, but it is that we're able to actually understand how this connects to life and connects the dots from uh, what is sort of theoretical otherwise or what people could affirm on the pages of a book into what it actually means to play out in their lives the truthfulness of Scripture and to live in obedience to it. Um, So that's just a consideration as we go through that we, in making decisions, uh, one of the things that we're looking for is connecting Scripture to life. And it does connect. Uh, The issue is just whether we're going to see the connection and whether we're going to have the wisdom to do that. And one of the ways that we get that wisdom is by praying that God would help us to do that. And Paul does that here for the Colossians. 
So just a consideration as you're making decisions uh, that God wants us to know his will, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. He wants us in verse 10 to be constantly increasing in the knowledge of God, even as we please him and as we bear fruit. Um, we are supposed to grow in our character. Verse 11, the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. And then verse 12 even talks about giving thanks to the Father. Appropriate this season, isn't it, to think about that. Uh, but that passage hopefully will set the tone a little bit for the idea of knowing and doing God's will. Uh, this morning what we are doing is picking up and um, we are sort of turning a corner from talking about wrong ways of making decisions and the ways that people take biblical terminology sometimes or biblical events or concepts and use that in the decision-making process in ways that are not necessarily in line with what they were intended for. Uh, and we're turning the corner from those wrong ways or inadequate ways or erroneous ways, mistaken ways of decision-making into thinking about um, the considerations that we want to have, the principles of decision-making or the process of decision-making. Um, and what I want to look at as we consider these things is two key questions up front and then a number of considerations that we will walk through. And I have to be honest, I'm not quite sure um, how long we're going to need to walk through these considerations. This could take us uh, just this morning or this could take us a number of weeks. So we will see uh, to what extent we need to cover this. But the process of decision making involves up front these two key questions and then a number of considerations. Now, in addition to what's here, and we'll see these things coming, there, there uh, I would like to uh, talk in this class over the next few weeks that we meet. Uh, about such things as the conscience, the place of the conscience in decision-making. Um, we'll talk about the place of counsel, which will be part of these considerations, and even things like habits. Um, what is the place of habits in decision-making? Do we have to decide something every single time we do it, or is there an appropriate way to think about habits with regard to that as well? Uh, but to begin this morning, what I want to do is to just put these two key questions in front of you. And this is not necessarily new. We've kind of been talking about this a little bit. But the two key questions would be, first of all, this. Um, is it right or wrong? So is it right or wrong? You have that on your outline in front of you. Is it right or wrong? In other words, is there a black and white moral decision involved in what you're trying to decide? Is there a black and white moral issue involved? Uh, if you're trying to decide whether or not you should kill someone, that uh, involves a black and white moral decision most of the time. Uh, what does the word of God say about murder? Well, it says that you shall not do it. That is a very, very black and white statement. Um, when it comes to coveting, the scripture talks about coveting. You shall not covet. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. There are things like this that are very direct, black and white, biblical commands. And we ask the question, is this right or is it wrong? Meaning, is it morally permitted or is it morally forbidden? So that's one question that you need to make sure that you ask. And then within the framework of that, the second question would be, if it is not wrong, what is wisest? What is the wisest or what is the best decision given all the factors involved? If it's not wrong, what is the wisest thing to do? Now, I think this is important 
uh, in this sense, we often talk about um, black and white decisions, and then we talk about decisions that are kind of gray areas. Um, how do you think that differs from these two questions that are here? Is there any difference between that, the, the idea of a gray area? What do we talk about when we're talking about a gray area? What does that even mean? Okay, so there is something about it in Scripture, but it's not necessarily this is right and this is wrong. Okay, yeah, yeah. So biblically speaking, um, there are things like that that fall into that sort of biblical gray area, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? When we think of gray area, sometimes what we uh, mean by that is that we're not quite sure if it's right or wrong. And it can kind of mean like, well, it's sort of partially right or partially wrong, and that's okay because uh, as long as it's not completely on the one end, um, black or white, as long as it's not completely wrong, then we kind of might be okay with going there. It's kind of a gray area. You know, I don't really like it, but I'm going to just go through with it because it's not as bad as it could be. Now, again, that's not the only way that we use the term gray area, but I just want to make sure that that kind of thinking about it is eliminated. We're not really talking about things that are sort of morally murky. Uh, when we talk about gray area things, biblically speaking, it's really more about things that are uh, in that category that Robert's describing. There are things that you have to think about that may or may not be expressly forbidden in Scripture, but there are principles in play. We'll talk about some of that as well, the uh, considering the scriptures and the principles that are behind it uh, here in just a few minutes. But basically what this is doing is saying um, that there are, uh, if it is not forbidden in the Bible, then you have a lot of options on the table. Okay, When you go to your, I don't know, we, we have a closet at home that has a lot of board games in it. Um, you go to your board game closet, and unless there's something that would be sinful about grabbing a particular board game, like this game is, you know, the game of worshiping uh, demons or something like that, well, then you have the freedom to pick whichever game you want. And there are going to be a lot of factors that might go into that, perhaps, or you might just say, hey, this one's on top. Let's just grab this one so we don't have to get all the other ones out and have to worry about that right now. We'll just play this. Uh, or it might be, well, this one, I don't really know how to play this game. So let's just play this other one. We already know how because we don't have time to do this. We make decisions like this all the time. But we might not think about them in terms of this is morally permitted. We're just making the best decision that we can at any given moment. Um, some of them might be very, uh, they might be more significant in terms of the impact and the stakes of those decisions. Um, obviously, which board game you pick is usually, usually not going to be in line with that, although I'm sure there could be some exceptions. Um, we'll talk about that later on as well, the stakes idea. But the point is that there is, a, we have a lot of latitude in what we pick. We have a lot of, dis, of freedom to make certain decisions as long as those things are not said to be sinful by the Bible or as long as they're not causing us to neglect something we are expressly commanded to do. So as long as it's not wrong, as long as it's within the realm of what 
what is morally righteous, then we can do what is wisest, and we must pick what we think is best. So those are the two main key questions. Um, So what I want to do then is just with those things in mind, I want to move through um, some considerations that we would have in the decision-making process that are really connected with this, that help us to think about um, not just is something right or wrong, but then also to help us think about what is best within the scope of what is right. And these, uh, the way that I have these ordered is roughly uh, a logical order, not so much a chronological order. Um, there are a lot of things you get where you, you, know, you buy something from uh, the store and it comes where some assembly required and you get the instructions out and you know, it's how many steps that you have to go through. And if you don't do them in order, what happens? Well, for some things it might be okay, but from other things it might be a really problem, right? It's a huge problem if you don't do them in order because then you have to go back and take them all apart. Well, these things are not necessarily like that, these considerations for decision making. Uh, I'm not telling you here in order that you have to follow this exact process every single time in in this particular way. Um, These considerations are roughly in order from the objective to the subjective or from... um, sort of nailing down what is actually black and white about this situation, moving toward the realm of making judgment calls uh, in light of those things. So when you see these, just keep that in mind, Uh, moving from the black and white to what you should choose within that. Now, one more point before we talk about what these considerations are. Uh, I want to encourage you to consider before even any of these, the place of prayer in decision making because this is not here under something to consider Um, this is just something to do and this is something to do really at every point along the way we're going to talk about considering facts and considering your heart and your responsibilities and counsel and the effects and so on again I'll give you all of these Uh, but at at various points along the way the, the things that you are praying and the things that you're praying for are going to vary based upon what particular component of the decision-making process that you're that you're carrying out. So it might be that you uh, you're dealing with what does my heart want at this moment? What are my attitudes that are going on? And your prayer at that time might not be God show me what to do. Your prayer is God help me and forgive me of this sin that I'm committing and I'm realizing and making this decision that I have wrong attitudes. Will you change my heart? Will you help me to submit to what your word says? And will you, will you forgive me for what I've done? Um, you also might pray that you would understand the scriptures better. You, you pray that you're willing to do what God says. Um, you're praying for wise counselors to come your way and so on. So I just want to say that, that prayer is something that should be involved in this really throughout the decision-making process in various ways that are appropriate. And so it's not just something to sort of stick at the beginning or the end like, okay, before you make any decision, pray. Beyond the fact that that's not realistic, since we make so many decisions every day, uh, that doesn't really get into the way that prayer is used and the way that, that prayer is instructed in the scripture. So I just want to encourage you to consider that as you go throughout every decision um, and as you go through this process, and certainly this will play a bigger role in, in decisions that are bigger, but uh, keep prayer in mind throughout the entire process, whether uh, it is uh, that you keep it in mind chronologically or in this logical order. Okay, so let's... Uh, Let's consider these considerations. All right, first of all, 
Proverbs, excuse me, consider first of all the facts. Consider the facts. Proverbs 18, 13, something again that you should always know this passage, Proverbs 18, 13. You probably know it right off, some of you. It says, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is what? Folly and shame to him. A few verses later, verse 17 talks about our need to um, understand all the facts as well before making a judgment. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. So this, these two passages give us um, some pictures of how we need to make sure that we understand what actually is the situation before we pass judgment on something. Um, what are some of the things that get in the way of us understanding the facts when we're trying to make a decision that pleases God? What gets in the way of our understanding of the facts? Emotions. We don't want that to be true. We feel a certain way. That's right, our emotions. Good. What else gets in the way? What's that? May not have all the facts? Okay. You may not have them, so can you not just go get them? No? <laughs> What's that? Okay. Okay, all right, so yeah, you got to ask questions. Okay, what else gets in the way? Yeah, different people's accounts, right? That's, that's what's going on here in Proverbs 18, isn't it? The first to plead his case seems right till another comes and examines him. I mean, you know, if you've been involved in adjudicating anything, you know, if you've uh, disputes between anyone and you know and you're like the person, you're like, oh, man, that's so wrong. I can't believe they would do that. And then they're like, oh, actually, you know, that sounds pretty reasonable in light of this. But maybe what they're saying is, you know, they're, they're doing this. And what about their perspective? And, yes, the... Uh, having these, this, the way that we portray things. And that isn't even necessarily that we're doing that uh, maliciously when we present something from, quote unquote, our side of the story. We're just giving you what we know about it. Uh, so yeah, different perspectives. Yeah, what else gets in the way of understanding the facts? Yeah, personal desires or preferences. Would you say that just you just want something to be true? Yeah. And so we don't want let the facts get in the way of that. Yeah. Yep. We have our biases. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Partiality, right? You, you want to believe one person or you just want one person to have a certain outcome over the other? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Yes, thank you. Yes, so the information can be, uh, it can be too much of it to really process it all, and it can be too, uh, 
too difficult, like just even, not, I don't want to say intellectually, but just as far as like the knowledge base that we have, right? There are things that people, if you haven't been formally trained in something or you're not very well studied in something, uh, you really just might not grasp it. Um, you guys ever read like a book that you don't understand because it's just too, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and there's, there's times when, you know, I, I like to, if I'm reading a paper or an article or something and it's not really, I don't quite understand it, you know, you like to push yourself, right? Really try to understand it and look up the words. But then there are some times where you're like, I'm not going to get this unless I just go like study this whole thing for a year, right? And I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to have to, in this case, take somebody else's word the best that I can for what this actually is saying. Um, all that to say that we can't always get all the facts. We can't always even understand all of the facts. We, one of the things that gets in the way is that we're finite. You know, we don't know everything. Only God knows all the facts. Only God does. Um, only God is able to grasp and understand the significance of all the facts and how they work together. And we like as humans to put out, you know, the idea that we're very intelligent and we have experts and we have, you know, this kind of uh, way of understanding things. We can, we've, we're very educated and we have all kinds of information. And the fact is that even the most knowledgeable person on earth only knows the most infinitesimal sliver of all possible knowledge that we really need to be humble about this. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of times when we, we just, we literally cannot get all the facts, period, about everything. But we should try to get um, enough of the facts to make a decision that uh, where we have enough information commensurate with the importance of the decision. And again, we'll talk about some of that later on as far as judging the importance of the decision. But to the extent that we have decided we need to spend some time deciding on this, then we need to get the facts. So, for example, you're trying to buy, decide whether or not to buy a house. Okay, people understand this all the time. What are you doing if you're going to go buy a house? Well, there's some things you want to know. What is the square footage? How many bedrooms does it have? How many bathrooms does it have? Where is it located? Um, we'll get an inspection and find out. Are there any problems with this thing or that thing? When were the appliances replaced? You know, are there any repairs coming up? What's the neighborhood like? Uh, what's the, you know, what angle is this facing? Where's the sun coming in? You know, what is the energy efficiency of the home? You name it. Like, there's all kinds of things that you are able, actually, to find out. Um, a home is a good example, by the way, of something where even if you find out everything you can possibly know, you still can't predict the future and what's going to come and when things are going to break and all of that. So there's no way to know everything about that. But we do want, before we make a decision, to try to understand facts. And I would just say then uh, you want to try to understand facts accurately and you want to try to understand them sufficiently. So you want to understand them in truth. You want to get accuracy, and you want to understand enough about the situation that you're deciding with regard to uh, to be able to actually make a wise decision. There comes a point where knowing more has diminishing returns, and, uh, and yet there is a point where also it would be helpful to know more in a way that would make a difference to the decision. Uh, but in general, just understand the facts. It's very difficult to apply scripture to a situation that is actually not real. 
And this is unfortunately what we do is we start to think, how can I respond to this or how can I respond to that? Well, that's not even really the situation. The first thing you have to do is just calm down and say, like, what is the actual situation that's going on here? And a lot of times we panic and our emotions get the best of us and uh, we misunderstand things and we have fear and we become anxious and wrongly worried about things that aren't even an actual situation in the first place. So we need to really get the facts of the situation before we can actually make a wise decision. Okay, so that's the first consideration. Any, uh, any other thoughts or questions on this idea of considering the facts? Yes, Marvin. Uh, sufficiently, sufficiently, yeah. Yeah, and that word is intended to say that you don't have to know literally every possible thing that you could know about something, and you never will, but you do want to know enough, and you're making a judgment call about what that is. Yeah. Anything else on that point? Yeah, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, time. Yeah, why we don't get all the facts you're saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, why we don't do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. And, and even bound up in that can be all kinds of uh, pressures. That, you know, we want this or we're afraid of something. Um, there also could be a, a, a wisdom to saying, you know, this, okay, if I'm going to buy a house in 2022, it's not the same game as it was in whatever, you know, a, a slower market and knowing, kind of having wisdom to make that judgment and decide if you even want to get into that game at all or, you know, just knowing that going in. So, uh, but, but yes, realizing that you will not have as much time to get those facts and are you okay with that? Um, that's another, uh, another consideration as well. But time, that's a, yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, um, let's look at the second consideration here. And this is consider the scriptures. Consider the scriptures. I have Romans 4, 3. Romans 4, verse 3, because it just is representative of the question we should be asking all the time. Um, this is not any special passage about this, per se. The, this is a pretty common, actually, language in the Bible. Um, but it, it says, for what does the scripture say? And then it goes on to say, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's, it's actually Paul going and saying, um, what does the Bible say about this very, very central matter of justification and how a person is declared right with God and how a person's sins are forgiven? Obviously, that is a much more significant fact than really anything else that we could talk about, basically. Uh, it, how is a man right with God? And yet it does show the paradigm that Paul operated under, which of course was reflected by Jesus as well when he says things like, have you not read? What does Moses say? What did Moses command you? In other words, what did Moses' uh, words in the Pentateuch, in the Torah, in the, the first five books of the Bible, what did, what did that say? What did he say? But that is the question. What does the scripture say? And we just need to even say up front, too many times we make decisions and don't stop and think, does the Bible even say anything about this? Does the Bible speak to this issue at all? Now, uh, I want to talk about how we can consider the scriptures, but just up front, I want to ask, 
why don't we consider the scriptures in decision making in places that we should consider the scriptures? Um, why is it that we do not consider them the way that we should? What causes us to neglect that practice? What would you say? Yeah, Tammy? Yes, doesn't line up with what we're hoping it will be. And we kind of have a sneaking suspicion or we already know that it says something that is really at odds with what we want to happen. Yeah. Somebody, I think, in the middle had something. Mm-hmm. You've heard the phrase, right, that this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. There are reasons why people don't want to read the Bible and they're not always lack of time or laziness or confusion. Uh, a lot of times it's because we know what's there and we don't want it to have to stare us in the face and tell us no. Yeah. Okay. Why else do we not consider the scriptures? Yes, Jessica. Yeah, yeah, so two things, right? So one is, yeah, uh, we know it's going to be work. It is a big Bible. Not everything is directly connected. We have to draw implications, and we have to um, systematize things, uh, which we'll talk about here shortly. And then, yes, as you said, the segmentation, where we just basically say, well, that's not really a spiritual decision. This is just a secular decision or a secular, and I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying, but basically, this is my secular life. This is what I do, you know, between Sundays or for a lot of the time between Sundays. We might not say that explicitly to ourselves, but functionally, we treat it that way, that there are things that the Bible speaks about with regard to maybe church and evangelism and, you know, and, and um, prayer and Bible reading. But what does it really have to say about this decision that I'm making right now? What does it really have to say about buying a house? You know, as long as I'm not greedy, um, as long as I don't, you know, buy a house to use to undermine the church directly, you know, then okay, what, what is that really, what does the Bible really have to say about those things? And there's just, there is, there is a, a disconnect, you're right. Yeah, what else keeps us from considering the scriptures? Yeah, that's it, Mark. Okay, yeah, we think we know, so we don't go do any digging deeper, right? Don't, don't look any farther, yeah. Yeah, anything else keeps us from doing this?
Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good, uh, that's a really good insight because, yes, we do often consider these things in isolation from the church, even, uh, even not so much in the effects that it will have, although that is another factor as well. And I want to, uh, that's toward the end of this. The, one of the later considerations is the effects of the choice that, that it will have upon other people, not least of all is other people in the church. But even in um, how the scriptures uh, are to be brought to bear upon the situation, we might not see that necessarily. And other people in the church can help us with that. You know, have you thought about this passage or that passage and how that applies to your situation and the decision that you're about to make? Um, that's, that's a consideration that we should have. Um, so let me just give you a few, a few thoughts here on this. Um, first of all, just do your best to know if uh, something related to this decision is in the Bible. So just in general, do your best to know that. This would involve searching the scriptures yourself when you're thinking about this. Uh, it would involve asking other people. But uh, what I would say is, and you guys have probably found this, it is much easier to store away this knowledge over time than it is to try to get it all in the moment of making a decision. I know that might sound controversial, or it might not to you, I don't know. But, you know, you often hear people today say things like, well... You know, there's not a lot of need for us to learn facts and to memorize things and uh, to, uh, to really put a whole, spend a whole lot of time putting that stuff in our heads. Because after all, we have search engines, we have Google, we have the Internet, we have the whole thing at our disposal. And I would just simply say that that doesn't really account for, first of all, the amount of time it would take you every time you're trying to, uh, to think about and understand a fact to go and look that up, and also the way that this knowledge over time begins to help you to, to think in different ways and to understand things and to know where things are and to get the context. You know, it's a very different thing to study the book of, say, Romans for a year or two or even a month or two and to know what the context is of a particular passage. That's very different than, uh, well, I'm trying to make a decision about how to relate to government. Let me go and find passages on a list of how to relate to government. And then I'm going to go look and oh, Romans 13 is about that. Well, let me go look at that. And you're looking at that almost for the very first time. And you have no idea of the context of why you would relate to government in this way. You have no idea what goes before it in chapter 12 or 14. You don't know who is being written to. You got to look it all up from scratch. And, you know, Jessica's talking about how much work it is and she's right, to, to go and to try to figure out these things in the gray area, or frankly, even in the black and white, you're going to do this every time you're making a decision? You just can't operate that way. You've got to put it in your head, and it's got to be building and building and building so that it's ready to kind of take this systematized way of thinking that your mind is being transformed and apply it mostly on the spot, or at least where you have a framework of context and background and other things when you're going to these places. Um, the other thing with this is you can do a search or you can look up a thing in a book, but there are places that just might not ever come to your mind because they don't have the particular keyword or they aren't in that quick reference book that someone has put together. But if you had been learning that book, or if you had read this book of the Bible a few times, then that little phrase would catch your memory, 
and it would connect to something that you're going through right now. And then you would say, okay, where is that? Now I can Google it. And now I can find out where that is and go look it up because I kind of have an idea of the language. Or you could say, you know, isn't there a passage about something like this? And you can go to one of your elders and say, isn't there a passage about this? And they would say, well, it might be this or it might be that or whatever. Uh, but the point is, you can't just wait until the moment of decision and then start trying to learn everything. Again, you know what this is like if you've ever tried to do this. Uh, if you know absolutely nothing about cars and you go try to buy a car within two days, I mean, you know nothing. You've never driven one. You've never owned one. You don't know how much the cars are worth. If you go try and buy one within two days of never having done anything to do with that, you're probably going to make a big mistake. None of us do this kind of thing when it comes to big decisions like that. And yet we think that we can just go and, you know, all of a sudden find, is, you know, is there a verse about this or is there a passage about this? Well, there might be, and there might be something you haven't thought of, but if you're not doing that in the larger framework of growing in your knowledge of the text and of the Bible overall, you're going to have a really hard time factoring that in properly when you're making a decision. So just to say, it's, it's much easier to store this knowledge away than to look it up every time. I would just commend to you the gradual, uh, the gradual piling up of biblical knowledge through reading the scripture, listening to sermons, memorization, uh, talking about it with other people, anything that you can do to start to, to make your mind more and more knowledgeable of the Bible. Um, so that's one factor. So do your best to know if something is in the Bible. So in order to do that, obviously your own knowledge, uh, you can, if you don't know what's there, you can, you can look it up. You can look up cross-references in certain texts you know, that have uh, little references. If you have a Bible that's a reference Bible, you know, the little ABC that's in there, just look up those cross-references in there. You can find um, topical Bibles. Um, you can, again, yes, you can get on the internet and search for it. You can talk to other Christians and say, hey, is there something about this that I'm not considering? But do your best to know if something is in the Bible. And then ask uh, the two questions that come, uh, that we started with. Ask the two questions that we started with, which is, uh, is it right or wrong? And then if it's not wrong, is it wise? So ask yourself basically this, does anything in the Bible directly or implicitly, either directly or implicitly, forbid or require a certain action? Okay, so you have both sides of that. Does it either directly or implicitly forbid or require a certain action? In other words, is it right or wrong? Okay. Is it right or wrong? This is what you need to do. Um, is this sinful or not to do this? Is there a command against this? Is there a command for this? We talked about government, you know, Romans 13. For this reason, you also pay taxes uh, for rulers are servants of God. Okay, so it says, you know, give to all what is due them. All right, so this is something that we are obligated to to do. This is a right or wrong issue according to the Bible. Um, that would be one example of that. Um, and then there are things that are forbidden. Again, you shall not steal. The Bible talks about this very clearly. Ephesians 4, let him who steals steal no longer, but let him what? Labor, working with his hands, performing with his hands what is good, so that he'll have something to share with those in need. So they're very direct commands. So there are, there are things that are directly or implicitly uh, requiring or forbidding certain things that are right or wrong according to the Bible. Um, now, I want to just say this 
as well that um, especially if you are uh, especially if you are a newer Christian or maybe you don't know the Bible uh, very very thoroughly you need to be very open and you should be any anyone should do this but this is especially needed if you're just not familiar with a whole lot of what the Bible says you should be very open to other people telling you you just can't do that thing you're doing or you have to start doing this other thing that the Bible requires because they, you just might not know that it was in the Bible and you just have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with somebody else pointing out something to you in this very big book that they know and you don't. Now, to be sure, other people can be legalistic about this and this is one of the things that I wanna make sure that we talk about later on with regard to the conscience. It is very easy for us to bring our black and white and our way of doing things and our convictions about things and tell someone you're not doing this or you are doing this and therefore you are in sin. And we need to make sure that we don't do that. So certainly someone else telling us, hey, that's wrong or you need to change this in order to be right, uh, that can be legalistic. But other people can also know things that you don't know. And other people should be able to come to you and to point out something to you without you being hostile toward them in response. You can disagree with them. You can show them why what their understanding is might be mistaken. You can show them that they're not understanding all the facts. You can do that. But don't get angry at people for trying to encourage you to do good deeds and to reject evil deeds. So does anything directly or implicitly forbid or require a certain action? And then... If you are in the clear, if you're in the clear and it's not wrong, then you ask, does Scripture provide wisdom for this decision? Does the Scripture provide wisdom for this decision? So once you've determined that it's permissible or even that it's required, now you have to start to say, what is the best way to carry this out? And the Bible does talk about these kinds of things it talks about these kinds of things okay let me ask you is it sinful to intrude upon an argument that two other people are having okay who thinks it's sinful <laughs> who thinks it's not okay and some of you aren't sure okay but i saw nobody thinks that it's sinful at least nobody that raised your hand um does the bible talk about that situation yeah, what does it say? Yeah, like grabbing a dog by the ears, right? What is that? Like you are, you do not want to do this, okay? You're getting yourself into some, in some kind of trouble. That is biblical wisdom. That's just an example of biblical wisdom, okay? If you do this, there's a good chance that you're going to encounter a situation that you don't want to be part of. Uh, so it's not wrong to do that, but it might not be a good idea. Um, same thing, there's a lot in Scripture about the fool in the Proverbs, for example. And there are things that the fool does that are sinful, but there are other things like if you enlist a fool to do a job for you, okay? Is that wrong to do that? No, it's not wrong. But is it a good idea? It's a really bad idea, isn't it? And Proverbs talks about it like smoke to the eyes. You know, that if you, he who sends a message by the hand of a fool, 
Like these are the kinds of things that the Bible talks about. And there is a lot of this in particular in what we call the wisdom literature. There is a lot of that there. It's, it is ideas about how you can live wisely, that you can avoid trouble, that you can walk in ways that are in line with the fear of the Lord and that you make decisions that just keep you out of trouble and that are aimed at uh, doing, uh, living a life that is most pleasing to God. And yes, in some ways, that is a more blessed life than you otherwise would have. And those are in the Bible, not only so that you will live and obey God, but also so that you will, in some real senses, prosper. Uh, so that you will have uh, situations and outcomes that are good as opposed to bad just for the sake of being bad. So the, the wisdom literature is a place that you really, really need to know. Um, but... That's certainly not the only thing. And if you look at other biblical examples, you'll find things like this. For example, um, when David, I mean, this is just, this is just a, it's kind of a strange example to look at. But, you know, when David was trying to cover up his sin, um, he understood that there was something, there was a kind of a tactical mistake that would have been made uh, in order to bring this about. And if, he said, you know, if they ask you, why, why did you go so near the wall? You know, don't you know about the, the lady that threw the rock from up here and, and hit the commander in the head and killed him? Like, don't you know about that? And, and what he's talking about is there was an experience in Israel's battle history that is kind of just there as, oh, wait, it might not be good to go so close to the wall in battle. Because if you do, then you put yourself at risk of this particular situation happening. It's just, it's just kind of this random thing that is repeated as something that is uh, needed to explain the circumstances of, of David's cover-up. But the point is that these are the kinds of things where you learn these things from Scripture as well. You see examples of what happens. Uh, and so knowing the Bible and seeing how God carries things out, it gives you wisdom to act in certain situations. Um, when you know... That God is sovereign over all things. And you read the account of Joseph getting thrown into jail and mis after he's mistreated by his brothers. But you know that he has, was promoted through the ranks and that God had a purpose for him going in there. Then that's going to change your attitude if you're ever in a hard situation like that. If you're ever being mistreated. Uh, it's going to affect the decisions that you make. It's going to affect the way that you treat people because Trusting God and knowing God's providence and his control over these things is going to influence you. So just even knowing other biblical passages are going to give you wisdom. Um, you also can look to, um, with regard to wisdom, uh, you can look beyond the scriptures as well to consider uh, other things as you have applied the scripture over time. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, but we will want to uh, draw upon our uh, experience and things that we have learned over time. There is something to be said for gaining wisdom as you go and not just remaining at the same level of foolishness for your entire life. We want to grow in wisdom. But uh, these are some of the places where Scripture provides wisdom for decisions. Uh, let me just give you some examples here as well. There is a, a passage that talks about a lot of these things, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 10, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, and it gives a few principles, not just uh, coming out and listing them in the text. 
but it, it helps us to see in some areas that we might call gray areas. And one of these was a matter of meat sacrifice to idols. So the, in 1 Corinthians, of course, they had all kinds of uh, issues. But this is a passage, these three chapters, about uh, things that are sacrificed to idols. And some of the Corinthians were willing to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols because they understood certain things. Well, in part, they understood uh, that idols aren't real. They're not really gods at all. And uh, they understood that it is, in one sense, it's just meat. But Paul gives them some other principles to consider. For example, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 9. Take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? So there is going to be an effect that this will have upon other people. Um, there's a principle in verse 8. Food will not commend us to God, for we're neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. This is just a basic principle that we can use to make this uh, judgment call. If we're trying to please God then that puts food at a lower level in terms of how important this is to us. And it really even just extrapolates out to all kinds of other things. Um, possessions of any kind are not the things that commend us to God. We have priorities. And so we, we rank these things lower in terms of how, we, uh, how important they are that we have this or do this thing or, or go to this place or own this or that. Um, so that's a principle that he is talking about here. Um, these are just a couple of examples. We could go through another, uh, a number of these as well. Verse, chapter 10, verse 23. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. He's showing that not everything necessarily that's permitted is good for us. It's not necessarily profitable. It doesn't necessarily bring, uh, bring benefit so there is wisdom in that, that you're considering whether this actually is going to be beneficial if I do this. Some people will do things just because they're allowed. And he says, yes, but how is that going to affect other people and how is that going to affect you? So we consider this. Um, the principle in verse 24, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. So things like this are given in the scripture that, uh, that, that give us the wisdom to make judgment called decisions. Um, in addition to this, you have biblical priorities for us. We'll talk about this with regard to roles. But when we think about what God wants, what does he lay out in the Bible? What does he talk about? What does he say is important? We understand that the world to come is that which lasts. Here we have no lasting city, Hebrews 13 says. So how is that going to impact the judgment call that you make about time spent doing a particular activity or the way that you think about your physical home um, or how you think about the, uh, the way that you would, would spend your time, your free time in different ways? These are the kinds of things that we want to consider, just bringing the truth of Scripture to bear so that we can make judgment calls on the basis of things that the Bible actually tells us. Um, one more thing here, a lot of the wisdom that the scripture provides for us comes from the involvement of other people. And this would be 
uh, sort of two layers. One would be, do other people know biblical passages that they can bring to bear to provide wisdom for this situation? Do they know biblical passages that they can bring to bear? Uh, Or do these people, uh, do they function just simply as the kind of thing Proverbs talks about as beneficial, which is the abundance of counselors? And are they able, just through what they have experienced and the knowledge that they have acquired, are they able to present things to you that you might not have thought about and that might be helpful? So counsel is a biblical uh, basis for wisdom, again, on those two fronts, bringing you wise principles in and of themselves that you might not have considered, and then also just bringing an abundance of knowledge in so that you're not just doing this on your own and not just kind of uh, missing certain things that could be helpful in making your decision. Now, when it comes to counsel, again, more on this later, we have to remember that counsel itself is not binding, That when someone gives you counsel in the sense of giving you wisdom, when they're not telling you this is wrong or this is right, it is not binding. You do not have to do what someone thinks would be the best decision. Sometimes you would be really foolish to go against that because... because this is just such a very clear and obvious thing, but it is not binding upon you. So you need to... uh, You need to be able to get outside of your own presuppositions. You need to make sure you don't pick the counselors that you like only. And, you know, this person tells me what I want to hear. But you need to make sure that you remember that also that it is counsel. And you yourself are ultimately responsible to make the decision before God. Um, Sometimes we use counsel as an opportunity to abdicate our responsibility. And we can blame it on someone else. Well, so-and-so told me to do this. Well... No, you made the decision for yourself, and you need to take responsibility for that. So don't use counsel poorly, but use it to gain wisdom. Okay, so that is, uh, does the scripture provide wisdom for this decision? Right. That's as far as we'll get on the outline this morning. Any questions or final thoughts here this morning in the last minute or two? Anything? Yeah, Dan. Yeah, so praying that these particular things that would be helpful for us in the scriptures would come into our view. Yeah, yeah. That would be, uh, yes, praying for that, praying for, for insight and uh, that you would be successful in finding what would be applicable and relevant, pertinent to those situations. That's a, that's a good thing. Um, we can pray as well. You know, we've talked about this passage in previous weeks, but James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God 
He gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If we're going, this would be an, an example of where we do pray that God would give us something. So in, you know, we pray that we would be able to find what is right and wrong from the Bible. We pray that we're willing to submit to that. Um, and then we also pray that God would help us to be wise, to help us abound in Colossians 1 and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, uh, that he would give us wisdom, James 1, 5. So Yes, this would be, these. you see here the kinds of times when praying would be appropriate for these situations. Again, always appropriate, but particularly pertinent in, in these categories. So consider the facts, consider the scriptures, is it right or wrong? And then consider, does the scripture provide wisdom for this decision? So that's where we'll leave off this morning. Uh, next time we will pick up with considering our heart. So we'll much to look forward to there. Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning together. Thank you that you've given us your word so that we can know what you require of us and we can understand how to make decisions that are best and wisest. We pray that we would be able to build up a knowledge of the truth and one that's not uh, just knowledge, but one that we're putting into practice all the time. And we pray that you'd help us to help each other to do this. We pray that the rest of this morning would be honoring to your name as we gather together here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.